Welcome to the Doc Lounge Podcast, Crazy Cases Series. In this series, we will explore some of the most unusual and interesting cases medicine has ever seen. We will speak with providers of all specialties from all over the nation. We will hear firsthand accounts from symptoms to treatments to cures. So sit back, relax, and let's explore some crazy cases. Hello, thank you guys for tuning in to the Doc Lounge Podcast Crazy Cases Series. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and beside me today is my co-host, Director of Recruitment, Casey Galpin. Thanks for joining me today, Casey. No problem, Summer. I'm happy to be here. Today on the podcast, Casey and I had the honor of talking with board-certified general surgeon, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill. Dr. Hill is practicing out of Illinois, and he is one of those guys who uses his right and left brain and does it extremely well. So he is a general surgeon, he is a professor of surgery, and he also has his own band, Dr. Mark and the Sutures, and they've opened for some of the country greats like Randy Travis, Martina McBride, Tim McGraw. Um, so talk about a talented guy. And we had the best time listening to his crazy case. So today, Dr. Hill shared with us two crazy cases. Each of them blew our minds. The first one we're calling the unconventional cure. And then the second one is called the hernia. Um, Both are pretty self-explanatory titles. Uh, I don't want to give too much away. So stay tuned after this quick message for our crazy case episode with Dr. Mark Nolan Hill. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. Well, thank you for being here, Dr. Hill. We're really excited to hear your crazy case. Let's jump right into it. How did this patient present themselves to you, and what were the initial symptoms? Well, it was a uh, a patient who uh, was a diabetic, which is very common in in all uh, uh, specialties. And the patient would vomit after he ate. He would feel full, and he just felt like he couldn't eat. And so uh, the uh, primary care doctor referred them to me, and we got an, what's called an upper GI, where we took a contrast study of their stomach, and we saw this huge mass in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about the history of this patient is the patient loved vegetables, meaning the family and the patient told me that they would eat just tons of vegetables. And that's important because... Um, I decided to scope the patient, do an endoscopy, and what I saw was a huge phytobezoar. And what that means is, is you've heard of hairballs like for cats. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a vegetable ball in humans. And the fact that the patient is a diabetic, a lot of diabetics have what we call gastroparesis, which means they have slow emptying of their stomach. And this huge phytobezoar was blocking 
entry of food from the esophagus and obviously exit of food uh, from the pylorus. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the frustration of big phytobesaurs is that when you try to take them out or break them up endoscopically, physically, to try to do that so that it will pass or you can take pieces of it out uh, through the endoscope, it, it's kind of like jello. It just It's not a solid thing. It's not a liquid thing. It's just mush. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very frustrating. So I scoped this patient uh, actually a couple of times. And and this has been a phytobesaurus has been a problem uh, uh, in the surgical arena for many years. And actually, they used to operate on phytobesaurus. Actually, operate on the patient, open up the stomach, and take it out. Now, obviously, we don't want to do something like that. And mm-hmm. so one of the nurses had told me, who had been around for about 100 years, <laughs> that they used to clean and clear gastrostomy tubes, tubes like that, with Coca-Cola. And I remember growing up that when I had rusty handlebars on my bicycle, I used to use Coca-Cola, and a whole bunch of people used to use Coca-Cola to get the rust off. Oh, my goodness. So I thought, I wonder if the acidic effects of Coca-Cola and the uh, sodium bicarbonate and the carbon dioxide bubbles, all this might work with phytobesaurs. So what did I do? I Googled it. And I found several articles about using Coca-Cola, not Pepsi-Cola, not other types of cola, but specifically Coca-Cola because of its pH, its phosphoric and carbonic acids, just specifically Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, you can use diet Coca-Cola, and that's what I would use because the patient is diabetic. You don't want to give them that much sugar. So, and this patient, <laughs> I ordered from the pharmacy because he had to do it through the pharmacy. I said, I want this patient to drink six cans of diet Coca-Cola per day. And the patient actually thought it was great. You know, he said, boy, this is, you're a really nice doctor to give me yeah. Coca-Cola. Um, every The nursing staff said, you know, Dr. Hill, are, are you saying you want six cans of diet Coke a day? And I said, yes. How did you come up with that number, the six cans? Oh, I don't know. It sounded like a good number. <laughs> no, no, understand, this is this is empiric. Yeah. This is not uh, evidence-based medicine. This is empiric. Totally. So I figured six cans, most people can drink six cans over a 24-hour period. Mm-hmm. And the pharmacy, uh, through dietary, wanted to, I think they wanted to change the cola to a less expensive cola. Uh, one of the the, the, the uh, lesser brands, I said, no, 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 it's got to be Diet Coke. And the patient drank six cans a day for, I think I gave him three or four days. And then I rescoped the patient, and it was like magic. <laughs> the phytobesor was gone. Completely gone? Yes, yes, yes. And it had completely 
gotten rid of the phytobezoar. Now, obviously, this is an anecdotal study, meaning on my part, but I remember as a boy using, and everyone of my age remembers using Coca-Cola to get rust out on your bicycle. Mm -hmm. And so something like that, it makes common horse sense that using Coca-Cola. The only thing, though, is you always wonder, if it does all that, what does it do to the normal stomach? I was just thinking that. <laughs> I know. Well, our, our stomachs are pretty tough. They they are. Um, I personally uh, uh, don't like the taste of Coca-Cola, but I know, like, my son loves Coca-Cola and things like that. But it's an interesting story. And, again, remember that the information that was given to me that stimulated this was by a nurse who had used Coca-Cola for years and years to clean out gastrostomy tubes. So again, uh, what I always tell my younger colleagues, uh, my residents and my students and the young attendings is listen to the nurses. They will teach you things. And that's the story of the phytobezoar. Yeah, that's interesting. I know I've with the, I come from a, a small town in Washington, so kind of a country town, and we used to use uh, Coca-Cola to clean out drains. Instead of getting Drano, you pour it in there, and there's even uh, the thing, the a lot of things on YouTube where you can drop like Mentos tablets into like a gopher hole and then put a whole liter of Coca-Cola in there, and it just starts foaming up and everything leaves it. So it's crazy powerful, and sometimes in a negative way. So Coca-Cola, and just think about that's what we're drinking and putting in our stomach, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, that's a uh, question in regards to, um, are you collaborating with other physicians while you're going through this and while you're thinking of it? Or is it more you that are kind of taking the lead on this? Uh, what does that look like when you're dealing with a case like this? No, understand that one of the uh, advantages of being in practice for 38 years is have you ever heard RHIP? No. If you were in the military, RH, which I was, RHIP, rank has its privilege. When you've been around for a long time, let's just say that you can kind of take the lead mm -hmm. on an approach mm -hmm. without having too many people uh, uh, being critical. Now, if I was first year out uh, of training and I did something like that, my senior attendings would probably look at me uh, and say, what's the evidence for this? Why are you doing this? But no, no, this was just on my own. Wow. Was there, because I would assume you would thought there's probably not going to be any negative effect of this if just drinking Coca-Cola. Is, is, did that kind of go through your mind of what could potentially happen? I had to use Diet Coke because he was a diabetic. Now, as you know, uh, uh, Coca-Cola has a lot of sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And if I gave this patient um, a straight uh, Coca-Cola with that amount of sugar, their uh, glucose level would be off the wall. So that's the mm -hmm. only thing. Otherwise, I mean, the patient had a lot of belching, obviously, drinking, you know, six cans, because I didn't want the Coca-Cola to be flat. Yeah. meaning I didn't want it to sit around and lose its fizz because the carbon dioxide bubbles actually helps to digest the fibers of the phytobezoar. So uh, there was really no side effects. The patient would have a lot of gas, but he actually enjoyed it. I mean, it tastes good, <laughs> and, and he got to drink six cans of Coke. Yeah. Do the, do the phytobezoars come back, or once you get rid of them, are they gone? 
Well, in patients who have gastroparesis, which are commonly diabetics, remember they have to be careful about eating foods that are not easily digested. And remember, as uh, humans, we don't have cellulase, which is the enzyme that uh, uh, digests cellulose, which most vegetables are made of. And if you're a big vegetable eater, like this guy was, where he would eat tons of vegetables, you got to be careful. And he would eat them in mass quantities at one time. And so what I told him uh, after this whole uh, scenario, I said, look, you can eat your vegetables, but just first of all, chew them very, very well and eat them in small quantities as opposed to big quantities at one time. And do I think he'll get another one? Sure he will. No question he will. But it will be ready with the Coca-Cola. Yeah, he knows what doctor he's going back to. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Did you do any articles on that or anything? Oh, no. It's already been done. I'd be reinventing okay. the wheel. Gotcha. In other words, all I did was confirm my thoughts uh, by seeing the documentation already in the literature. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's go into your other case, which I'm really excited to hear about this one. I was kind of like, how is this even possible? Um, so, uh, same thing. Take us to the beginning. Uh, where were you introduced to this patient? Symptoms? Stuff like that. Now, recognize as a surgeon, in practice for 38 years, I've seen thousands of hernias. Mm -hmm. And so, hernias don't affect uh, me and say, oh, wow, anymore, because I've seen so many of them. But this one is very unique. A woman came into my office. Oh, I guess she was around 45 or 50 years old. And she was wearing a muumuu. Am I saying that right? A muumuu? Yep, muumuu. It's kind mm -hmm. of like, a, I think it's a Hawaiian dress. Absolutely, muumuu. Fair enough. Um and she came in, and I took her into the examining room, and I said, uh, what brings you here? And she said, well, Dr. Hill, I have a, a hernia that I'd, I'd like you to fix. I said, okay, okay. And uh, I said, can I, I take a little look at it? And she pulled up her muumuu, and I am not kidding you what I'm going to tell you. She had an abdominal wall hernia that extended down to her knees. Wow. I had medical students there and myself, and we had to keep from gasping because in, in 38 years of practice, I've never seen a hernia uh, this large. And so obviously... My students are looking at me, you know, what What are you going to say, Dr. Hill? And I asked the lady, I said, well, how long have you had this hernia? And she said, well, about 30 years. It started oh, as a belly button gosh. hernia. Wow. And, you know, sheepishly I asked, well, um, why didn't you get it uh, fixed? Uh, she says, oh, I don't know. It just got getting bigger and bigger, and I thought now is the time to get it fixed. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, and thinking, well, maybe I should refer this case to someone else because I knew this was going to be a difficult yeah, <laughs> yeah. This would be a, a, a difficult case. And understand something. The most amazing thing about medicine 
is that you're dealing with people. And I always tell my medical students and my residents that patients, every patient is different. Mm-hmm. And they're, the way they think is different from each other. That's what makes the world go around. And this patient was somewhat flat in their affect, meaning the patient really wasn't terribly concerned about this hernia. Now, you would think that if you had a hernia that went down to your knees, that you would be concerned about it. But she she had somewhat a cavalier attitude about it. Okay, fair enough. So I told her, I said, well, we really should fix this. And I got imaging studies, CAT scans and things like that. And fortunately, fortunately, most of her intestines were in her belly. Now, the reason I say that, as most surgeons know, when you have a large hernia over a period of years, the bowels get displaced into the hernia, and you actually call it loss of domain meaning you can't even fit them back into the belly. And that's a, that's a whole different uh, uh, concept and, and procedures in of itself. But fortunately, she maintained most of the bowels in her abdomen, but in the hernia sac itself, there were some intestines, but there was what we call the omentum, which is uh, fatty uh, tissue, which is normally in the belly, and a lot of just fat. So I thought perhaps we could we could do this uh, uh, and and do it uh, successfully. So I took her to the operating room. I did ask two of my colleagues attendings to assist me just because you needed a second and third set of hands. And I felt so sorry for the medical students because the medical student's job was to hold up this large flap of hernia. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? Oh, goodness. I don't want to, but yes, I can picture it. They were holding it up while we prepped it, and they had to hold it up for the entire case. And the operation took, oh, probably about four or five hours because it was just a lot of tissue and a lot of work. And finally, I resected the hernia, the, the excess skin, the omentum, the fat, and it weighed close to 70 pounds. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I was able to get all the intestines back into the abdomen, close the abdominal wall. Fortunately, she was not at all heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. And she did great. All right. So afterwards, uh, we were all very proud of ourselves because here, this woman now looked great. I mean, the, the hernia, this huge hernia was gone, 70 plus pounds gone, and her abdomen was closed. Well, she did great in the hospital, went home thereafter, and when I saw her in the office with the medical students, I was kind of hoping that she would really be pleased. Meaning, not that she, she was thankful for the surgery, but I mean pleased that she didn't have this hernia anymore. Mm-hmm. And her asset was still flat. 
Meaning, I said, boy, you look great. And my and my staff, when she walked in, said, boy, you look great. And yet, I said, what do you think? And I was kind of expecting her to say, wow, this is so good. I've lost all this weight, and I and I have my figure back and things like that. But she just still had a flat effect, and she just said, oh, yeah, it's okay. No big deal. And that was it. So that was, the without question, Summer, the largest hernia I have ever seen in my life. Is that, could they be life-threatening if she wouldn't have come into you? Oh, absolutely. The danger of hernias is if they get stuck. We call it incarceration, like you're incarcerated in jail. And then what leads from incarceration is what we call strangulation, which means loss of blood supply. And then that becomes a surgical emergency. And every surgeon like myself has operated on many, many, many patients who have had strangulated hernias. The danger of that is that it can, it was already incarcerated, but the danger is that it could be strangulated, and that would change an elective procedure into an emergent procedure, without question. So, Dr. Hill, had, had how many primary care physicians had she seen in the last 30 years, or I don't, I just kind of struggle. How did that not get addressed earlier? I don't know. You know, there's an expression that a lot of primary care doctors used to use, which I tell my medical students and residents never, ever to assimilate into their brains. And that expression is, well, if it's not bothering you, don't bother it. Mm. Absolutely a terrible, terrible expression. And the way medicine works, if someone has a hernia and the primary physician is more concerned with their heart or lungs or diabetes and things like that, and it's not an active issue to the patient, it may may be overlooked and said, well, let's look at this in a year and see how it is. Now, I want you to know that I totally disagree with that because one of the uh, uh, issues that I always stress to, to my students and residents is the fragmentation of medicine, meaning you got to look at the whole patient and you have to address things that may not even be within your specialty, but you have to address them. Yeah, this patient should have been sent earlier. Now, in fairness, Remember I told you that her uh, affect was flat? Mm-hmm. She might have been told about this and said you should see a surgeon, and she just never did. Yeah, I never asked her that question. I didn't think it would be helpful in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I would have expected, but knowing her affect, she might have said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give Dr. Hill a call, and that could have been years and years ago. And she just never did. So was there any follow-up or course of treatment after that? Or was as long as the, the incision and everything healed up, that she was good to go? Yeah, she saw me uh, uh, for a period of two months total. Mm-hmm. And she was healed. And uh, I told her, if anything goes on, uh, just let me know. And that was it. And I haven't heard from her since. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, I'm sure other... Other physicians know, but for my um, curiosity, 
What was that 70 pounds filled with? Um, skin, fat, soft tissue, and omentum, meaning the, the fat that's inside your belly, which is normally, omentum means apron. They call mm-hmm. it the apron of the belly. In other words, it's, it's there to protect the insides of, of the abdomen and, and also to uh, kind of act as a shield for diseases. And so that was in it. Now, there was intestine, uh, of course, in the hernia, but I was able to push it back inside the abdomen. So I was very, very fortunate. In other words, this patient did not have loss of domain. And I'm telling you, uh, there's an old expression in surgery that it's better to be lucky than good. And please mm-hmm. don't, you have to take that with, with a grain of salt, but it's an expression that we sometimes say to each other. And I think it was very lucky for the patient that most of her intestines were in her belly and not in this hernia. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for how long she's had it and how big it was. Yeah, super fortunate, yeah. For, for being what it is. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, thank you, Dr. Hill, for sharing these cases with us. Um, that was very entertaining. Well, you're very welcome. And uh, hopefully uh, uh, your audience uh, uh, can appreciate it and learn something from it. And, um, you know, you got to hit us back if you have something else down the line that you want to share. I'm sure, I'm sure being a general surgeon, you see some very crazy things quite often you bet 38 years of practice you see it all yeah all right well thank you so much and we hope you have a great day and you you're very welcome thank you no problem bye 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 thank you to all our listeners if you'd like to be notified when new episodes air make sure to hit that subscribe button and thank you to pacific companies without you guys this podcast would not be possible If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.